Hello, it's Pete here, and welcome to EdTech Innovators. In the week when Elon Musk, among other people, asked for a pause in the progress of AI, we posed the provocative question, is ChatGP taking over? Well, is it? This time, we're joined by true EdTech innovators in the form of Cecilia Panther, Christopher Dancy, Phil Birchenall, and Darren White. You enjoy now. Hello, my name is Cecilia Panther. I'm an assistant professor of administrative and instructional leadership in the School of Education at St. John's University. I am excited to talk about ChatGPT. Um, AI and all things education, uh, specifically with regard to equity. My big thoughts are that it's very exciting that we have access to a technology that in some ways creates an equalizing element for those students, learners who have not had traditional access to these vast amounts of information. I think that providing an opportunity for them to access this information, not just accessing the information, but also being able to organize it in ways that make sense is a really, really fantastic opportunity that when used properly um, will help to assist all of us in engaging in deeper learning. Some of the things that often come up when we're having these conversations First are related to the idea of academic misconduct and what is at stake when information is so readily available and uncontrolled. What does this mean for assessment? What does this mean for active learning? And I think that these are very, very important conversations that we should be having. First, when we consider the fact that when you're given information and you can simply cut and paste, the learning is lost. This is an incredible risk and one that we do have to be aware of. The information has been around and available to those who have been able to search it. And now having these chat mechanisms makes that easier for all students. In my mind, the key is really in understanding how education, how educators can now help students to understand, one, the importance of actually learning a concept, using resources as resources to be considered rather than as an end-all, be-all knowledge generator. Because when everyone has access to the same amounts of information, the question becomes what is unique about the way that you understand, synthesize, and make sense of information that makes it useful. And so it's going to be very important for educators to kind of pour into those critical thinking skills, allowing students to assess what is quality information, what is accurate information, and what is information that is built on science, that is built on factual information, and that is inclusive of a variety of different perspectives. Otherwise, what we're doing is simply creating searches for the purpose of checking off a box, and no actual learning is occurring. 
And so while we understand that academic misconduct will happen, it happens now, it will continue to happen, the focus on the learning piece, the focus on creating opportunities for engagement in a variety of different ways will hopefully allow students to see these technologies as the resources that they are, while also allowing them to dig more deeply in ways that we haven't always had the ability to challenge students to do because so much of our time has been spent on figuring out how to search for the information. Now, that's not to say that we will no longer need to search for information in ways that don't just require a chat box, but we will have the opportunity to think more deeply, think more creatively around how we demonstrate what accessing information, what checking for validation looks like for all of our students. In addition to this, really considering the ways that we currently assess students. One of the big conversations that comes up is that, oh, this software will allow students to earn passing grades on all sorts of tests that lead to certifications that we rely on to verify trust and verify an understanding of a concept. And this is of significant concern. The solution to that concern, however, is not to put the technology back in the box because that isn't something that is possible. So again, now that we have access to these baseline elements of information, what can we do to assess more deeply, assess in creative and individualized ways to be able to demonstrate a student's learning in context. A lot of this is going to come down to how questions are worded, how they are presented, a level of randomization, and a level of expectation in how assessment is produced, uh, where assessment is taken, and how assessments uh, are valued. And so I think that we are just we continue to remain in the beginning stages of a really important conversation around how education has to change to adapt to those concerns. Beyond these ideas of assessment, one big thing that comes up for me is a safety mechanism. And so there have been a lot of conversations around how the technology kind of censors itself um, and the critical mass of information and what that means algorithmically. So working with students who study diverse populations, who study the characteristics of students who are disproportionately unrepresented or underrepresented in our literature, this is also a matter of academic integrity. And one of the things that I would like to unpack and I would like to understand better is how we can empower students to make sure that we aren't just accepting things that come from the algorithm as the only things that are, are worthy or acceptable of study. How do we dig deeper again to understand what the current canon means for access, what the current canon means for equity, and how we challenge those things to be able to create new understandings, to be able to contribute to the research in valuable and valid ways. There's an element of safety that I am beginning to explore 
in terms of what happens to all of the information that is typed into these technologies and captured for the algorithm. At some point, one's email address or account could be used to capture all of the I won't call it learning, but all of the searching that has taken place. And so I think back to a fantastic Google commercial that came out some years ago, and it basically followed the timeline of an individual's life. And they conducted all of these Google searches. And what happened was there was a story that was told through the Google searches, things that were purchased. We all understand these things. We all understand that the success is in the data that we feed each of these systems. And so with that in mind, if we are considering these true uh, learning tools, what are we giving away? To what extent are we willing to give away those thoughts for information and how is that information being captured and how will it be used as data points across our society? What will those consequences mean? I think that we have a lot to do to unpack and understand what the consequences are, but approaching this sort of technology with safety in mind first is going to go a long way in helping us to demonstrate responsible use um, and demonstrate a duty of care that we have to protecting learners. As an organizational tool, as a tool for feedback, we now have an amazing level of speed and efficiency to be able to provide individuals the things that they need. However, with this comes an understanding that there are those of us who will use these things for speed and efficiency, and there are others of us who will use them because we lack confidence in our own ability. Now, it's in that lack of confidence that we have to ask ourselves how much of this still allows us to demonstrate our authenticity, to demonstrate our identity, and to demonstrate authentic learning. Because if we're just going for the standard five paragraph essay and that technology generates a five paragraph essay, then the question becomes, am I comfortable with this because it's something that I couldn't generate myself? Is this, does this feel correct to me? Or does this feel like what I am required to submit and will end up being acceptable? And so I will just turn this in without any learning being done conversations on expectations around those things and how we support students to ensure their authentic learning and ensure their success are going to be incredibly important. The last thing that I will share here is that while this is a tremendous resource, it is going to require a set of resources that we haven't always been ready to invest in specifically in higher education leadership. So when we're thinking about what these tools mean for efficiency, there's, there's a lot of excitement around that. But from an infrastructure perspective, how are we going to be able to demonstrate our competency around the technology, our safety for our students, for our staff, for our faculty, and the supports that they need? So what does this mean for investing in faculty development? What does it mean for investing in student supports? 
what does it mean for investing in educational opportunities? We consistently ask educators to do more with less, and I would challenge us to think about the ways that this technology creates new opportunities for us, again, to think more deeply and invite our students to think more deeply, but also to have some measure of accountability with responsible use. And with this comes accountability, with this comes training, with this comes alignment to best practices that haven't been created yet. And we're really going to have to place monetary value on the supports. We're going to have to place value on staffing experts who can come in and help us to assess these things so that they are accessible for our students so that they are truly equitable and so that they are tools that enhance learning rather than distract so much from the process that we become comfortable with the idea of of looking at something that looks correct without digging more deeply and understanding the extent to which our students are learning. It's so important for us to understand how our students learn, when they're learning, why they're learning, and what pitfalls are in place that would lead us to simply generating information without understanding, without synthesis, and without being able to demonstrate that for uh, appropriate assessment because at the end of the day we want students who are learners who become members of society members of a workforce that we can trust and that trust cannot solely be dependent on an algorithm it takes a set of values that are cultivated in our authentic learning thank you for your time Hi, uh, this is Phil Birchnall. Um, I'm a consultant and writer. Uh, I work with um, creative digital media and cultural organisations, uh, helping them on business strategy, business transformation, um, and really sort of getting to the essence of what those businesses do and how we make them more successful, more effective, and more satisfying for the people running the company and the people in the in the companies. And um, I've always been fascinated by technology um, since I was a kid, um, but I've never really been a coder. I've always been sort of that intermediary between, um, you know, the infused uh, technologist who talks in code and the sort of pragmatist on the other side that just wants something to kind of work. Um, I've always been that person in the middle. Um, gosh, where to start? ChatGPT, um, I've been playing with since before Christmas, uh, 2022. Um, so I was already, already aware of the power of it. Um, and then ChatGPT4 arrives uh, in the middle of March, 2023. And here we are about a week later, I have barely been off it. Um, and as a self-employed person, uh, part of me thinks that's bad for business, but part of me thinks that's absolutely fantastic for business because it cuts across 
literally everything. I've been evangelizing about ChatGPT for um, in every conversation I've had, <laughs> literally, uh, relatives, uh, clients, colleagues, uh, people I do a podcast with, um, because such is the power. And I think we're going to see it really transform what we all do uh, in the coming weeks, months, and years uh, as ChatGPT4 evolves. I've got a couple of examples of, of how I've used ChatGPT4 in the last week. Uh, this first one is, I guess, particularly relevant to uh, the education sector. Um, so let me just sort of describe a scenario that I had. Uh, my daughter is uh, 11 years old, very bright, brilliant at English, takes after her mum and me a little. <laughs> um, she's been struggling a little bit with maths at school. And I remember the saying, you know, I kind of, uh, I was reasonably bright. And there was a point where maths just sped up ahead of me uh, and I needed to catch up. So Daisy's got a sats in, uh, in a couple of weeks. Um, and it's slightly nervous and apprehensive about it. Um, so of course I wanted to step in and be the dad that, you know, sorts it all out as we do. Um, so first things we, we just looked at, um, the sort of mock papers, the sort of test papers that she'd been given and she'd be getting sort of, you know, 50% of the, the, the marks that she should have. So it wasn't great um so we really wanted to sort of get her to the same standard of english where she's getting like late 90s uh, every 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 time um so we sort of reviewed these past papers and what have you and and it kind of identified like the areas that she was struggling with um so long division adding and multiplying fractions uh, percentages you know quite a longish list and it was my intention to sit with a, sit with a, like a revision book and, and kind of do the sort of, let's try and make this fun, even though we know it's not. Um, but of course, it's like that. If anyone's seen The Incredibles 2, where Mr. Incredibles trying to, um, sit down with his, one of his kids to, uh, help in the same scenario. And, uh, you know, you just get this really frustrating, uh, <laughs> scream from him. Uh, which is, why would they change maths? Uh, and I felt exactly the same. I'm <laughs> hoping to sort of help my daughter with, with, with her revision, just finding exactly the same. I was just as much stumped by how things are done these days. Um, and I wasn't causing, I wasn't actually helping her. I was causing more problems than, um, I was, I was curing. So, yeah, this, this sort of, this conundrum had sort of hit me at the same time that, um, GPT-4 had, had dropped. And I guess I, I just thought, I wonder if, and lots of, lots of projects I get involved with start with, I wonder if, um, because I've always got faith in technology and, and chat GPT-4 really, really delivered on this. Um, basically we created a, a virtual maths tutor. Um, what I involved uh, was me training myself, <laughs> trainer, trainer, um, on how to create 
good prompts. And I had to dig around online and found a, a great video by, I think, a guy called Doug Cunnington, uh, an American guy who's, I think, you know, a writer, so he does lots of t- tutorials on writing for the web and all that kind of stuff. But he did this session on uh, working with prompts, and it was great. Um, he basically suggested that you could act, use ChatGPT as almost as a writer of prompts, which was the bit that kind of really blew my mind. It's almost like you're training the AI to give you the kind of detail in a prompt that you perhaps wouldn't be able to give yourself. So the process goes like this. You sort of basically say, hey, um, I want you to, um, when I ask you this, which is act like a, for example, online writer, when I ask you that, I want you to provide me with a response with this kind of detail in it. There's lots of examples online uh, of the of these these sort of prompts that you can sort of generate as an act as prompt. Um, especially if you look on Doug's um, social channels, you'll find some. So we put I put a few of those in and trained up the AI to create quite a detailed prompt whenever I asked it to act as a particular expert. After a few of these, um, I. Um, basically asked it to act as a key stage two uh, maths private tutor for an 11-year-old girl who's preparing with preparing for her SATs exams. Um, we ran that. It created, obviously created a prompt. We put the prompt back into uh, ChatGPT4. And from there... It started to ask me uh, more context. It wanted to know the areas she was struggling in, which we which had already done. Um, so I sort of that in. Um, but I also thought, well, hang on a minute. We could, I don't want this to be a really dry, boring kind of thing for her, uh, because essentially it's going to be sort of chatting into a, a chat interface so for an 11 year old who's used to all sorts of exciting interfaces that is not going to be one of them and um, so I said look bear in mind my daughter likes to be entertained she likes to she loves a joke basically or a porn or a clever one-liner and um, so whatever you do keep it engaging and keep it funny so we did all of this, we added some more, you know, we did a bit of training on it, it wasn't quite as straightforward as I described, but back and forth, back and forth, we get to the point where we actually run the thing as a virtual maths tutor, um, and yeah, this is where it just blew my mind. The first thing it did when I opened it up, uh, or ran it, um, was, oh, let me read the intro, um, yeah, basically, it introduced itself. We called it Izzy, after our puppy, who is called Izzy, Daisy's idea. Uh, and uh, when Izzy introduced herself to my daughter, Daisy, and started the first session, um, she said, why was the maths book sad? Question mark. Because it had too many problems. But don't worry about the problems, Daisy. Because me and you will sort them out, or words to that effect. And then it proceeds to 
set out some examples around how you do long division in the crazy style that you long, you do long division uh, these days. Apologies to any maths teachers out there, but uh, it, yeah, it, it's not how I did it. Um, so for me, that that really, really insane moment of going, you know what, if I can train um, ChatGPT4 to become a virtual maths tutor and engage in virtual maths tutor, there's not much this can, cannot do. Um, so that was an example of creating a virtual uh, maths teacher or maths tutor. Um, I should just say my, my wife is a teacher herself um, in English, so we've already sort of explored from that how you apply some of those um, lessons using ChatGPT rather than getting scared about everyone, every student in the world, you know, is going to um, cheat at homework. Well, Pandora's out of the box on that. It's going to happen. But how do we use this stuff uh, to enhance the learning experience and enhance the teaching experience and take away some of this stress that you all undoubtedly feel on a, on a daily, daily basis? So I was really confused about this. Um, and I said, how could apply uh, this to what I do um, as a business? And then extrapolating out from there, how can I then use this to work with the businesses I work with and perhaps, you know, win more business being um, someone at the, uh, the canary at the coalface of AI? Um and ChatGPT and, and Bard and all these things are, are emerging. So, one of my other, my other little tasks that I gave it was to I fed in uh, a, a ton of articles that I've written over the over the last sort of five years. I used to work in a research company um, specialising in TV formats and reporting on TV around the world. Um, so I was quite often asked to write um, articles about uh, the intersection of TV, uh, the intersection of TV and technology and all these kind of things that are happening in telly, albeit a, a slower rate than we're seeing with um, AI, you know, but I was writing a lot of articles and I don't, even when I'm writing something quite technical, I kind of write very conversationally. Uh, I try and, again, keep things in, engaging. I try and relate stuff to you know my own experience but also look at concepts when they're quite complex and find some sort of juxtaposition to kind of make it make it sort of an interesting read and people really seem to like the way I write and so I wrote yeah I sort of cut and paste a ton of articles in and basically sort of started this with a prompt that said I want to create a, um, I want you to create a prompt uh, that I could use again, encapsulate my um, writing style in a detailed manner that I could use again by cutting and pasting this prompt uh, back into ChatGPT or uh, an AI because ChatGPT doesn't know about ChatGPT because it's, uh, it, it's, <laughs> its data only runs up until a couple of years ago. But anyway, you know. That was the idea. I, I kind of get a really, really uh, detailed request that asked for lots of detail. And it came up with an insane um, 10 point 
guide to writing in my style that I can't believe how accurate it is. I've shown it to other people and they're like, that's exactly how you write. And this really excited me, <laughs> worried the heck out of me as well, because, you know, I get probably 40% of my work out of, of writing for people. Um, but I thought, well, the thing to do is embrace this stuff. None of us are going to get anywhere by just trotting out the old ways of working and, and expecting AI to just align with that pure and simple. We all have to change. So as a provocative kind of um, move, I wrote, a, I wrote a post on LinkedIn uh, where I suggested that I was going to become the first, the world's first open sourced copywriter by making that prompt available to anyone on request, as long as it's attributed back to me like you would if you were using a Creative Commons uh, image. Um, and yeah, basically said that if you want to write like me, if you're happy with the way I write, well, You'll have, you can have the prompt. You can you can you can take the prompt I've built, apply it to whatever you're trying to write, whether it's you know a summary of an article in the news or if it's something. I mean, I used it to uh, to test it out to write an article about the theory of relativity and how that relates to quantum physics, which you know, not, not being a sciencey person, uh, I've never quite got my head around. And it wrote quite a cracking article about it and it was if I was listening to myself explain something I haven't got a cat in hell's chance of understanding up until I heard myself sort of playing that back um so yeah I mean that that's that's me sort of embracing that and obviously that's created a lot of interest uh this notion of the first open sourced copywriter um but I think we've got to think like that you know, if I have to let go of a bit of, a bit of writing work, um, I know that the real value of what I don't do comes from speaking to people and engaging, and that's stuff that the AI can't do. But it sure as hell can supercharge the way we work. And just as a final example here, I appreciate I'm going on, but this stuff is just on my mind constantly. Um I don't tell my client, but I'm currently working on uh, a piece of work around a, a new online platform for a particular um, arts venue uh, in, in, in the northwest of England. Um, a part of that will be scoping out requirements, workshopping, all these kind of things that we need to do to sort of finalise uh, a brief for a developer. This morning, I was up at five o'clock in the morning because my mind was just whirring. And I thought, I wonder if from a series of prompts, I could ask ChatGPT to not only come up with a recommended site structure, basically based on all the things that the, the, the venue does, um, interlaced with things like we want to generate more membership we've got a friend scheme and there's a corporate sponsorship scheme etc etc there's all sorts of good stuff that goes along along around the venue and i 
from a use perspective, the current site on the CMS is really crap on image resizing, all these kind of things. I've just fed it a load of information, just kept drips, dripping stuff in. So then it came up with a recommended site structure, taking into all of the count, all of the count, the, the things I talked about, you know, sub pages within that. It created prompts around, you know, the image resizing and techniques it might, the developer might use to embed that. Uh, and then I thought, well, <laughs> that is good. At some point, I'm going to have to write an invitation to tender for this to get it actually out and procured. And then that thought, I wonder if came again. I wonder if. So I just wrote, based on all of this information, can you write an invitation to tender that was an issue to developers? Here are the kind of things I need in the, in the ITT. The response structure needs to look like that. Return. That's what I did. Hit return <laughs> right in front of my very eyes. There was an invitation to tender being written in the style of every ITT that you've probably ever seen. I see a lot of them in my line of work. And um, wasn't perfect. None of this stuff is. But it's you know it's the difference between me um, topping and tailing an ITT. You know, adding stuff to it that the AI is not really considered. The difference between that and starting it from scratch is huge you know a huge amount of time that that will save me and all with these sort of prompts that i give myself i wonder if so yeah i'm phil birchinal um my company is diagonal thinking um you can find me on social channels at diagonal thinking and my website is just diagonalthinking.co uh thanks Good afternoon, Pete. Uh, thank you for asking me to share my thoughts on ChatGPT. Uh, I'd love to hear more about the process when you uh, figure out how you're going to use it. You've been working with my colleague and friend, Steve Guerrero, uh, and I'm interested to hear about all of this work that you're doing. So uh, ChatGPT. So, in my opinion, is the latest iteration of the internet. And in my classroom, limitless access, limitless access to Google via a student's one-to-one -one iPad had a greater and much more dramatic impact on my practice back in 2010 than ChatGPT does in 2023. Now, if we use that as a timeline, uh, in a general place marker, it's also when my classroom practice and instruction de-emphasized information that could be readily searched on the internet. You know, in particular, facts and terms. You know, these were the things that when I was a kid, I was told I needed. You know, you have to study these facts and terms because they build on each other. They provide a foundational knowledge. And that's no longer the case as a teacher, these are the topics that can be readily searched and answered pretty easily. Instead, 
as a science teacher and I work with sixth graders, my practice now centers on what to do with information, how to navigate misinformation, how to find trusted sources and what's, what makes a source trusted. And I use this to develop and create research-based answers and solutions to real life problems. This is what drives curiosity, but it's also what drives understanding and later innovation. Um, I think for some time now, all of my assessment, all of my assessments have, have really been open notebook and ask students to answer abstract questions that don't solely rely on foundational knowledge and understanding, but also how to use the information gained in internet-based researches, research questions to answer and solve complex questions or problems. And this is where students struggle, especially students um, who developmentally are not quite ready for abstract thought. Like there's just so much information available that they're really, the, the skill of identifying that which is valuable and which is not, and then how to use the information valuable, uh, the valuable information to, to answer something complex is something that's explicitly taught. Now, in its latest iteration, uh, back to the original question, I, I still don't think that ChatGPT is a resource that I will will use. And, and it's not because I fear AI or this next iteration of the internet or have other reservations about it about its classroom integration, I think that's coming. Instead, it's because the information is not sourced. And while it may give students resources that relate back to facts and terms, at the moment, its credibility in the science classroom, uh, where, we, where we focus on research and, and how principles are developed uh, through researchers over generations, it is, is important to the practice. So its credibility in the science classroom is limited for the skills that I'm currently developing in my sixth graders. So that is my response. Um, please follow up with me if you would like to discuss this further. Thank you so much. Hi, Peter. Thanks for reaching out. Darren here. Um, my thoughts on ChatGPT and AI in general actually are that as schools, we just need to, to embrace it. But to do that with a, an element of caution, I think it's one of those things that it's part of the world that our students are going to live in, as has been widely publicised. This is the worst version of it that they're going to experience because it's only going to get better. Um, and I think it's got real potential for actually helping students develop those really vital um, critical thinking skills that they're going to need. Uh, personally, uh, I really like Mark Anderson's uh, approach to um, basically the, the stare approach to making sure that when you're creating your prompts that you're being specific, you're telling it exactly what, it to, what you want it to do to the finest minutiae, um, that you're giving it uh, an activity that you want it to do and that you've got to be prepared to, to go for more than one iteration <clears throat> and also give it a role to play whether that's you know a year six student uh, a parent or whatever it might be 
I think if you use those kinds of approaches, you get some really helpful uh, generated content. Um, as with anything, I think schools should be embracing this new technology. Like I say, with, with an element of caution, um, test it quickly, get that feedback and then decide on your approach going forward rather than some of the knee-jerk reactions that we've seen to, to just outright blocking. So those are my views on, on AI and particularly ChatGPT in education. Thanks. Next time on EdTech Innovators, we'll be talking about something different. Until then, please put the following prompt into ChatGPT. What percentage of podcasts will be about ChatGPT in 2023? Enjoy it. See you later.